Good morning. Thanks for joining us here in person and for those of you at home. And I want to jump right in to, to share a little picture with you uh, of me back in sixth grade, right? Sixth grade. And a little context here, that picture was taken uh, on a river in the Philippines. And uh, in that season, in that summer, uh, my parents had decided that uh, it was time to to go as a family to visit the Philippines. And uh, as part of our journey there, we, we traveled around different parts of the country, and it took us one day uh, to this river. And, and, you know, if you look at that picture, yeah, that, that's me back in sixth grade. And it looks pretty calm. Looks like I kind of know what I'm doing. Got, a, got an oar in the, in the water there. Um, but what you don't know is what happened in the, in the minutes preceding that photo. Because we had gotten there. And, uh, you know, they inflated the rafts, and we were there with my cousins. And, you know, I kind of grew up, and I was kind of like the guy who just kind of like would jump into stuff. So they, they inflate the rafts, and, you know, you, you know what rivers, right? From the bank, the rivers look calm. You can't really tell how strong they are or how fast they're moving, right? And so they fill it up. I say, yeah, I'll go. You know, just try to get to the other side. And so I get in there by myself, and a few strokes out, I'm out from the bank, and I'm like, Pshew, right? And I, I freak out. I bail, I jump out, you know, and I, I grab the thing, I make it back to shore, this side of shore, you know, and all the cousins are laughing, right? They're like, ah, right? And, you know, great fun for everyone else. And um, so I, I make my way back up, and one of my cousins came over, and of course he grew up there, they'd gone there several times, very familiar with the river and rafting, and he goes, um, I'll go with you, you know, and I'll kind of show you what to do. And, and I don't know if you can see, but just behind me, there's, there's, there's a hint of a, another body in the boat, right? And so we go out there, and uh, after just a little bit of help and guidance, there is this radical transformation that happens, almost unexplainable. Radical transformation, because you notice there's only one person with an oar. That's me. My cousin doesn't even have an oar in the water. And something radical, like crazy, and it, and it happened this quick, right? His presence in the boat radically transformed my confidence. And because I had this radical transformation of confidence, because not only was he in the boat, not only did I know he had the ability, but I knew that he wasn't going to let anything happen. He cared about me. I was his cousin. He generally wanted my best. So he had this heart for me, but he also had the skill. And so he's in the boat. In my mind, I know he's there, and something radical happens. Because I'm confident in him, I'm now able to do things that five minutes before would have seemed impossible. I go from trying to just survive and not being swept away by this river to now do, 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 and I'm tooling around, having a lot of fun. I make it to the other side. I go back and forth, and suddenly I'm enjoying this experience, and it all goes back to confidence in him, confidence in him, and it was a radical transformation, radical, unexpected right? And so I look at that, and that photo, I have a, a similar photo, and I frame, and I keep it in my, and I keep it in my office. I, you know, if I kept it in there for years, because it reminds me what can happen when, I, when you have confidence in God. The radical transformation that can happen 
in, you know, I keep it in my office because oftentimes, you know, I feel like I'm in a river and I'm like, God, you're back there, right? Right? So, and there's a ministry application for me, but in my life, and hopefully in your life, and then this series, this sort of mini-series where we're talking about confidence in God, I wonder how many of us step into the raft of life, and it, life didn't look too mean or menacing, but you stepped in, and you got, you, and something happened, and now you're feeling like you're just being swept up, and now you're scared of like dying. It's just so overwhelming, and all you're going to do is bail the boat, and how many of us as believers could have a radical transformation, even today, if you would just stop and have confidence in who's in the boat with you? Do you really believe in God's character, in his love for you, coupled with God's abilities. Because I thought of that, I go, man, that picture, it's the same two core elements for me that enabled me to, to actually enjoy that experience. Is the same thing that enables us to have abundant life. If we'll know God's character and his abilities and who we are in Christ, amen? If you can get that and just be confident in his presence and who you are, watch out. You go from just surviving to thriving. You go from being a victim to a victor. And it's a radical shift because your confidence shifted. And that's why we're, we've been spending this time uh, looking at the Apostle Paul, right? We, about a month ago, we started in the book of Philippians. And I was reading through chapter 1 of Philippians. And if you read it, you, you can't get through chapter 1 without going, oh, the Apostle Paul, man, he's got this joy and he's got this confidence, it just comes out. And I'm like, wait a second, where did that come from? I want that. I want to be able to live my life however many days I have left on this planet. I want joyful confidence. How many here want joyful confidence? Right? Just especially in light of what's happening. What's happening in your life personally, then you go out to national, now to global, and, and it's easy to get sucked into the victim being swept up by the river survival mode. And yet in the midst of that, I believe if you really take the time to, to, to reflect, to celebrate, to appropriate this idea of confidence, man, even today, you have radical transformation. You have a radical transformation because you change your focus, right? So, so I said, okay, Philippians chapter one, Apostle Paul has this joyful confidence. Where did that come from? And so we, the last month or so, we went on this journey of looking at the Apostle Paul's life to try to discover maybe we can have the same confidence, right? And so we saw in 2 Corinthians that there was Paul's experiences. He says this in 2 Corinthians 1. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. So we saw that through life, Paul's life experiences, very challenging, like I thought I'm going to die. He learned to what? Stop relying on himself. Stop trusting himself. Stop having confidence in his own abilities, his own thoughts, his own whatever. He said, you know what? I came to the end of my rope. 
thought I was going to die, thought it was it. God brought me through it. And you know what? He taught me to trust him. Amen? So we saw maybe the things in your life, maybe the past year and a half, maybe what you're going through today, you're at the end of your rope. And maybe what God's trying to teach you is to stop relying on yourself, to trust him, to genuinely ask him into your life raft. You know, I could have said to my cousin, ah, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get it. No, no, I got it. I got it, cousin. Maybe some of us this morning, God's like, are you going to invite me in? Are you going to trust me? I know, I know that river. I know what you're going through. So maybe the life experience, like the Apostle Paul, what you're going through is designed to get you to rely on him. Just release. Which for some of us, very tough. Very tough. I took some uh, students whitewater rafting several years ago. And, uh, you know, inherent risk in whitewater rafting is what? Right? And so we're going down there, and there's this big boulder, and the guide tries to get us around it. But what happens is we're paddling, 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 and our raft comes up against this boulder like this, and we come sideways like this, right? And the boulder's pretty big, so I scramble out because I'm on the side of the boulder side, and I scramble on top of the boulder, and the raft had the rope around it, so I grab the raft, like thinking I'm going to save the raft, right? And so everyone else had tumbled out, and they're, they're down the river, and I'm on this rock holding the boat, like, don't let it go. For, you know, and I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish other than I don't want the raft to leave me, right? And suddenly I'm holding it, holding it. My arms are starting to get so tired. And, and suddenly I can't hold it. And I just, ah, I can't let go. And you know what the boat did? It stayed right there because the water was holding it the whole time. <laughs> I wasn't doing a thing. But in my pea brain, I was saving everybody by keeping the raft from moving. I let go because I'm literally exhausted and the raft didn't budge. And I think sometimes in my life, I think I'm helping God. And I'm holding it. And if it's not, if it's up to me to, to fix this. I got to solve this. I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. I get to the end of my rope. I go, ah, I can't. And God's like, thank you. I've had it the whole time, you bozo. I knew it. I was just waiting for you. I was just waiting for you to let go, come to the end of yourself. Right? So sometimes confidence in God comes from coming to the end of ourself, letting go. And when you do that, not only do you let God in, but you might let some other people in your life for the first time. Say, hey, you know what? I've been trying to, I've been trying to deal with this. I've been trying to fix this. I've tried everything, but I need some help. I need some counsel. I need some prayer. I need some other resources. Okay? So we learned that. Psalm 118 It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes, right? Sometimes we just have to go through a valley experience to come to the end of ourselves. And then we looked at Paul's theology. We've been looking at it in Romans 8. Romans 8.31, it says, What then shall we say to these things if, which means since or because, because God is for us, who can be against us, right? And we looked at this one week and we said, you know what, here's the deal. God has a plan and a purpose, right, to, to use everything in your life for the good, to make you more like Jesus. Nothing or nobody on this planet can stop that from happening. Amen? Paul, he was like, if, because God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can defeat 
thwart God's plan for you as his child. That's like an amen moment, right? You're on the winning side. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that the God in your life raft assures you and me that nothing can thwart his plan, his good and perfect plan for you? Right? Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Right? Then we looked at Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We said, look, it's the argument from the greater to the lesser. Sometimes in our life, maybe we're not confident in God's provision. Maybe we think that God's not going to come through this time. And this verse we saw that week, it says, you know what? He gave you the greater, the greatest, Jesus. How will he not give you everything else you need? Amen? Are you confident in that? Because sometimes, you know, we get, we get, again, life happens. And if you're honest, maybe you're like, oh, Lord, are you going to come through? Do you, are you going to come through? Maybe we're not confident in God's provision. This verse says... How will he not also with you graciously give you everything that you need? Okay? Romans 8, 33. It says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. This was the last uh, thing that we looked at before the family celebration. We looked at, you know what? Here's the deal. Are you confident that God the judge has made a legal declaration that because you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified, which means declared not guilty, fully righteous? Amen? Are you confident? As you sit here this morning, as a believer, are you confident that a legal declaration has been made about you, that you are not guilty, fully righteous, name written in the book of life? Amen? Right? That's confidence. That's confidence. And then the passage we saw, it says that Jesus is interceding for us. How's that for a confidence booster? That Jesus himself, at this very moment, is interceding, is coming to Father on your behalf. How many of you have a a bit of a hard time wrapping your mind around Jesus interceding for you? Isn't Isn't that awesome? But like, wait, what? He's interceding for us? That's, that's, that's incredible, right? That's incredible. And so today we're going to kind of finish up this passage, and we're going to read Romans 8, 35 to 39. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is... That is powerful. And I think he really saves, I don't want to say saves the best for last, but 
How many of us are that sure in God's love as you sit here? There is a certainty, there is a confidence that the Apostle Paul has that nothing can or will be able to separate me or you as a believer from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Now, why is that maybe a little bit challenging? Because that can be real cliche. Hey, God loves you. Hey, God loves you, you know? Why is that kind of a little bit maybe challenging for some of us here or at home? Because maybe some of us grew up in very conditional love environments. Maybe some of us grew up in very unloving environments. And so to, to hear Scripture say, to hear me say, hey, you know what? Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Right away, something maybe deep into you and goes, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You don't know my story. You know how many people said they love me? And you don't know my abandonment. You don't know my double cross. You don't know my betrayal, all this love this, and I love you, and I'll never leave you, and you mean everything, and, and now you want me to believe that God's ne- nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God? You're asking me to believe a whole lot there, Pastor. I get that. And I get that, that this struggle with trusting and having absolute security and confidence in the continuous love of God, on one hand, it can be very terrifying, and the other hand, it'll be very liberating for you. But you got to hang in there. you got to hang in there, and you got to be willing to be honest with yourself, and maybe a brother and sister, honest with the Lord, and say, God, you're going to have to help me with this. You're going to have to help me with this one. Because sometimes, God when my life gets flipped upside down and I get angry and I start raging or I get scared and I get fearful and I get anxious and I get insecure, you know what, God, if I'm real honest with you, God, you know what goes through my mind? God, how come you don't love me anymore? When I get pushed to the end and there's trials and tribulations, if I'm honest, God, sometimes I wonder, where's your love? What did I do wrong? Did you stop loving me, God? Is that why this has happened? Because you stopped loving me? Right? And, and for me, it kind of conjures up memories growing up where, where it was a very high-performance, academic, sports, athletic-driven sort of environment. And, and I uh, tied love to performance as a young. And, and I knew what to do to feel good and to feel loved. To feel love, to believe I'm loved, I had to do this. I had to do this, you know. That's why I was sharing someone this week. That's why when progress reports would come out, man, boom, I would go to red line anxiety. And then when report cards were due, I would go, boom, to red line anxiety. Why? Because it was tied to my sense of being loved. Straight A's, equal, you are loved, valued, significant, important. Anything less than an A, even a B. I've shared this with my wife. I shared this with others. I got to the point where I had straight A's and I had built this prison of perfectionism that a B was considered an F, not acceptable. Not just accept, not acceptable academically. It was not acceptable at the human level because now I was not perfect. And if you're not perfect, then you can't be loved, right? Imperfect people can't be loved. And if you buy into that lie, then you live in 
this performance perfectionism mode. And here's the thing. Our society reinforces that. And so along comes my friends and people who share the love of Jesus and the gospel, the good news of this love right where you're at. Your love is a sinner. You're loving all your imperfections, right? And I can't, I'm really drawn to that because it's not by works. Okay, so a guy who grew up in works suddenly can't get saved by works, so that blew me out of the water. And I was like, yeah. But then part of my sanctification, okay, I received the gospel. I'm like, okay, I can't work. It's a gift. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to earn my salvation. Thank you. Mind blower, but thank you. So I received the gift of salvation by grace through faith, not by works, okay? But now as a believer, I am challenged regularly with living my life out of the love that God has for me rather than trying to maintain it or keep earning his love daily. It's a radically different place. One is God loves me. I'm his child. Nothing will ever separate me. I wake up and I want to go live for Jesus because I'm free imperfectly and nothing's going to touch his love. The other side of me, the old school side of me says, okay, pastor, don't screw it up. And I'm, I, I keep score, and I know how poorly I do, and then I put up fronts, and I pretend, and I try to do this and this and this. Why? Because I don't want Father to stop loving me. It's a, it's a regular battle for me to live by grace, not just be saved by grace, but to daily live by grace in the freedom of God's continuous inseparable love. Amen? And I get that. That's why, you know, I love this passage. But man, I got to choose every day to live here. Because the old me slides really easily into works and duty. And when I feel good about, you know, attendance, and I feel good about a great event, and I feel good about something that was done or accomplished, somehow something in me says, see, you're lovable. See, good job. Brownie point equals love. And I just tie myself up in knots again because I'm not living in grace. And why am I not living in grace? Because I'm not living in the truth of God's Continuous, inseparable love. How many of you here, if you're honest, right? How many of you here would go? I'm kind of struggling with God's continuous, inseparable love. Amen? Kind of like, really? It's like a really moment. Can I just rest that nothing will ever separate me from his love? Nothing will ever separate me? We're going to look at this, right? So Romans 8.35a says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That word separate means to cause, to divide, to put a space between. So what he's asking is, hey, is there anything or anybody that can come between Jesus and me and our love relationship? That's what he's asking. Is there anything that can come between us? Is there anything that can create space, cause division between me and Jesus as a child? Remember, this is, a, this is to believers. This is to believers. And the resounding answer is No. Right? It's no. And, and in fact, it says in a John 10, 27, right? Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. 
For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. Amen? We're just going to layer this. Because some of us here are still maybe wrestling. We talked about it last time when we were talking about justification. Maybe you're not secure in your salvation. Maybe your, your confidence has to do rooted with, well, you know, am I, am I in the family of God? Am I not in the family of God? Can I get booted out of the family of God? No. A legal declaration was made. Not guilty, fully righteous. And based on that legal declaration, now it flows into love. Not only are you legally declared righteous, now you're lovingly kept in the family of God. Amen? There's legal and there's love. Some of us may struggle with one of those more than the other. Some may it's a combination of both, trying to combine that, right? Okay? And then he starts a list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, right? Tribulation, that word means to crush beneath a weight, to press together, to squeeze. Troubles you putting under pressure. Great difficulty, not minor inconvenience. How many of you, just guessing, have ever felt that you're being crushed beneath a weight? Squeezed, right? Under pressure. Anyone? Okay, that's called tribulation. It's not minor. This is like, this is like big deal stuff. Tribulation, right? Distress. It means a narrow space, a tight space, right? Confinement. Anyone ever feel like the walls are closing in? Right? So tribulation's being crushed, pressed together. Distress means... Walls are closing in. I remember years ago, we went on a wilderness trip, and we went through Death Valley. And Death Valley, a part of it had those really tall cabins where the water comes through that are kind of dangerous if there's a flash flood. And I remember walking through there. It got pretty narrow, and it got tight. And I was like, okay, I get that. Some of us, maybe you this morning, maybe someone at home, you're feeling like the walls are coming in. You're getting squeezed. You're getting crushed. Maybe that's the vertical picture, and the horizontal is you're getting squeezed, right? And I love this because Psalm 118.5 says, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place, right? You ever get to that place where you're being crushed, and you're being confined, and God delivers you, and suddenly you can breathe? And you're like, oh, it's an open space. Woo, clear your head, got your breath back. That's, that's the word picture, Right? Persecution. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, this is Jesus talking, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 2 Timothy three twelve. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just part of it. Just part of it. But even persecution can't separate you from the love of God. But you got to accept it. You got, right? Again, when these things, when tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, when they come, okay, the point of this is not fighting the fact that they've come. A lot of us go, why is this happening? How could God let this happen? What's going on? What you really need to say based on this passage is, Lord, in spite of all this happening, thank you that nothing separates me from your love. You see the difference? 
Many of us are caught up in why and how and, oh my gosh, uh, these circumstances. And what this passage is teaching us is in the middle of it, you need to stop and say, thank you, God, that nothing can separate me from your love. Thank you, God, that based on your, your scriptures right here, this is happening, but it doesn't separate me from your love. Thank you, God, that this person said this, but it doesn't separate me from your love. Thank you, God, that I'm being persecuted in my faith, but it doesn't separate me from your love. See the power in that? Transforms the whole paradigm. You go from victor, victim to victor. And the victory is based on, you know what? Bring it, world, because whatever you bring, nothing will separate me from the love that my father has for me. Amen? And it is the knowledge and the experience of that love that enables you to take a deep breath, take the next step forward. Whatever's waiting for you outside these doors, I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what the rest of this day will bring before we put our heads on our pillows. But I do know this, it doesn't matter because nothing can separate us from the love of God. You see? You see how the radical, that's what I'm saying. You can have a radical transformation. Some of you are caught up right now and, oh, oh, you know, you read the news. Oh, the latest thing from Washington and the latest thing from the CDC and the latest and the latest and the latest. And at a certain point as believers, we go, doesn't matter. Because none of it will separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're free. There's a freedom we have. Right? And if you want to call it worst case, what's the worst case you go to be with Jesus. <laughs> right? We're, we're like, okay, while we're on this planet, nothing can separate us from the love of Father. If worst case, if you want to call it worst case, someone call it best case. If we should happen to this be the last day on this planet, well, by golly, I guess we'll just have to put up with being in heaven, Bobby. We're just going to have to... Put up with being in heaven where there's no sin and it's just Jesus and God. And You see, there's this, there's this kind of like, I don't, don't want to call it arrogance, but there's a bit of that we should have as believers. There's this kind of holy confidence, maybe bordering on holy arrogance, like you can't touch me, world. That's the Apostle Paul. Everything he went through, he came out to this place as like, yo, Nothing can separate me from the love of my father. I'm afraid of you. Radically different place to engage the world. Radically different place, right? Romans 8.36 says this. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's he's quoting Psalm 44.22. And the point of this quote is simply just to say, you know what? It's just par for the course. Pain, suffering, persecution as followers of Jesus is just who we are and just part of it. Again, why is that challenging? Because you might watch TV and read books and they say following Jesus is all about health, wealth, and good prosperity. And if something bad happens in your life, you know who to blame it? You. You must be doing something wrong. You must not have enough faith. You must be in sin. It's your fault that trials and tribulations are coming. That's out there. That's out there. That's why I love this verse. It's kind of like, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There's not a lot of health, wealth, and prosperity in that quote. What that is is a healthy realism. A healthy realism brought 
to bear against the truth that nothing will separate you from the love of God. You just accept it. It's just part of it, right? We accept it as believers. I accept it, you know, as sort of like the one that's on video and going out to YouTube and the sort of like the figurehead. I had to drive the stake in the ground that, yeah, I'm not on everyone's Christmas card list. It's just kind of par for the course. It's part of the cost we count, not just pastorally, but as believers, okay? That, that's why this is in there. It's like, you know what? It's just par for it. You got to count that cost, right? And then Romans eight thirty seven, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, if you're comfortable writing, circling, highlighting in your Bibles, right, that two words, we are, that's present tense. You can even change to I am. That means continually. So it says, no, in all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him. This is present tense. This is like right now as you sit here. This is a biblical truth about you. Continuously. 24-7, 365. I am. Everyone say, I am more than a conqueror. Ooh. See, some of you need to say that and get it from here to here because a lot of us have really what you, what you say daily is, I am a victim. I am helpless. I am incapable. I am not smart enough. I am a prisoner to my past. I am scared. I am weak. And then along comes the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.37. He says, no, you're not. You are more than a conqueror. Some of us right here, this could be a life verse. This is a life verse. You want a memory verse? There's a memory verse. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Woo! There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. Right? I am more than a conqueror. Present tense, continuous. Now, here's the thing. There's conqueror, and then there's more than. Okay, again, if, you look, if you're comfortable, you may want to highlight, circle, whatever, more than. Everyone say more than. Okay, you're not just a conqueror, you are more than a conqueror. What does that even mean, right? So here's what it means. You are super victorious. It's more than just ordinary victory. It's a lopsided victory where the opponent is completely routed, Right? So it's like watching football, nail-biter, team wins by the last-second field goal, right? Woo, we won by a last-second field goal. That's victory. That's conquering. When it says more than a conqueror, we won 100 to nothing. Who wants to be on the 100 to nothing? You are. You're more than a conqueror. You are on the victorious team that is winning everything with lopsided victory. Amen? That's who you are. I am not just a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Right? It's, not, it's, it's through him. Right? I love Ray Stimmons says this. If we barely manage to win our way to heaven by the skin of our teeth, we could be said to be a conqueror. But a more than conqueror is someone who takes the worst that life can throw at him and uses that to become victorious. More than conqueror is one who, by the grace and the gift of God, and in the strength of God within him, actually takes the very things 
that are designed to destroy him, and they become stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. That is being more than conquerors. See, a lot of us in life, we're, oh, another stumbling block. Oh, why is this stumbling block? How come I just got all these stumbling blocks? And God's like, use it as a stepping stone. Don't get stuck on the, the, the why is this stumbling blocks? And they're stepping stones. See, this idea of being more than a conqueror flips. It flips everything that we would call a stumbling block, a trial, a tribulation, into victory for God's purpose for you. Everything is now flipped into victory, right? Acts 5, the apostles get, get persecuted, right? Look what it happens. Acts 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. That's a potential stumbling block. Look at their reaction. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You see, they flipped it. Oh, I can't believe they persecuted us and we got beat for Jesus. They're like, can you believe this, dude? We got, we're counted worthy to suffer for him. 180 degree flip. See, to be more than a conqueror, to walk with more than a conqueror mentality is to change your attitude, your perspective on everything that we would consider trials and tribulations and stumbling blocks. You flip it. It's a, it's a radically different attitude and response, right? The promise in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? To make you more and more like Jesus. So stop for a second right now and think of perhaps the big challenge you're going through. Don't say it. Just think about it. The stumbling block, the trial, the tribulation, whatever right now you're facing. And then line it up. Eileen, put that verse back up, Romans 8.28. Line it up against Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So you see how that flips whatever you're going through? Why did this happen? Are you going to come through? I can't believe it. I'm such a victim. This is and he's like, oh, wait, time out. God, you're going to work this for my good. I don't know how. But you promised that all things work for the good, so I'm going to trust you. And you said in your word, I, you're going to love me. Nothing. This can't separate me from your love. You said I'm more than a conqueror, so I'm looking forward to how you're going to use this for my good. Thank you very much. See the radical transformation? That's a more than conqueror mindset. What the world, what the devil means for evil and bad, God will flip for your good. Okay? Remember Paul's uh, challenge with the thorn, which is actually like a railroad stake. Something big was happening in his life. And he says, God, take this away. God, take this away, right? 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? He flips it. Rather than fighting against all these horrible things that are coming at him all the time, he says, you know what? Let me just flip this. I'm content with, bring it, insults, hardship, persecution. When I am weak, then I am strong. He just flipped it into victory. He flipped it all into victory. Okay? James 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Great joy. 
For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Okay, so what are you going through today? Because according to this, you're supposed to be counting it uh, great joy. Not the circumstance itself, but great joy in what it's doing in your life, maturing-wise. Amen? You step out of the circumstance, you say, let me view this as more than a conqueror. And you're like, you know what? Thank you, God, that you're using this horrific thing that I wish would go away yesterday. You're using it to grow me, to mature me. Thank you. I can rejoice in that. That's a more than a conqueror mindset. What is that rooted in? He still loves you. You're not separated from his love. Okay? Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Psalm 4.8. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. I love that verse right there. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Uh, Somewhere growing up, I grew up in South San Diego. and It wasn't a horrible neighborhood, but... You know, somewhere along the line, I kind of grew up where it was hard for me to go to sleep. Actually, most of my teen years, I would sleep on the front couch in our living room. And somewhere along the line, I just sort of adopted that, you know what, I'm going to be the ears for the house. And, you know, I would listen, people coming by, car doors closing, voices outside. I would just, I'm the watchman of the house, and I just adopted that. And, uh, you know... I bore that responsibility. And I realized, even as a believer, I had a hard time sleeping. Because even, you know, you train yourself to have the ear. You Sometimes you're, you never really sleep well because you're listening to everything. And it was so funny, this manifested itself when we had kids. Right? Because my wife has no problem sleeping. She has the gift of sleep. And so even, even... Even when we had newborns, right? You know, middle of the night, baby starts to cry. I'm like, she don't hear that, you know? Because I had trained my ears to hear any stirring from the little one, and I would get up, and, you know, and it was all fine. But kind of the fallout of, of these years of being the watchman and sleeping on the couch and listening for what was happening in the neighborhood was I had a hard time going to sleep because I had a hard time trusting God that he was watching. And I'm going to share this with you because in a very practical way for me, developing greater confidence in God that nothing's going to, he loves me even when I'm asleep. You never slumber nor sleep, the Bible says, right? As my confidence in God in just the practical aspect that he's continuously in love and continuously, it helped me to sleep better. And I sometimes literally even have to say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to go sleep. I trust you. I will have, that's my closing prayer. It's like, Lord, I'm going to trust you right now. And I'm going to turn off my brain. I'm, going to turn, I'm just going to go to sleep. And I'm going to trust you that you got my back. And if there's anything I need to hear, you'll wake me up. I, I literally sometimes say, Lord, I trust you to wake me up if I need to get waken up. What's, what's the point? The point is it's, it's a confidence issue. I'm carrying this weight of, of listening for anything that could cause danger or pose threat to my home so I can't sleep well until I decide to give that to God first and foremost. Trusting in his love trusting in his ability to do what he needs to do to protect my home and wake me up and do whatever. So I, I share that with you because this is just very real stuff. 
The confidence in God isn't just in, in these big trials and tribulations that you face. It can come all the way down to how well you sleep. How well you sleep. Okay? And it says, through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right? Through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's more than conquerors. Right? John 16, 33. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We're going to have them, guys. Jesus himself says, you know what? You're going to have them. They're not going away. The question is, when they come, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be a victim or a victor? You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to go, no, man, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Why would God allow it? I know those are all very real questions. I have them. But when I have those questions, I go back to what I do know. And what I do know is, that according to this passage, nothing will separate me from the love of God. Amen? That's what I do know. I do know that he works all things for the good. I do know that nothing can thwart his plan or purpose for me. That's what I do know, and that's what I, how I live my life, on what I do know. What I do know, right? And then it says in verse uh, Romans eight thirty eight, for I am sure. Then he, he like goes from trials and persecutions like every day. Then he goes to elevation like 10,000 feet. He goes like, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He just goes off the charts. Amen? He, like, he, he goes so far that he, he like squashes anything you could think of. Because he says, nor anything else in all creation. Pretty much <laughs> sums it right up. Nothing. I want to say nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says, I am sure. Which means persuaded, convinced, certain. So question, are you? Are you sure this morning that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Are you sure? That, you know, I don't ask that flippantly because I know it's a process. Because you got to sometimes you got to look in the mirror and go, man, why aren't I? Man, what's, what's, what, where am I triggered and what's hindering? I want to be sure, but that's a process. I get it. That's a process. Okay? J.I. Packer says, this is the best news anyone ever heard. This is what he says. It means that as Paul triumphantly declares, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It means that God will never forget us or cease to care for us and that he remains our forbearing father even when we act the prodigal as alas, we also sometimes do. So here's the crazy thing. Not only will nothing externally coming at me separate me from the love of God, it's also when I mess up. It's also when I or you mess up and play the prodigal and make sinful choices, we can't separate ourselves from the love of God. Amen? Now, why is that important? Because there's an enemy called the accuser. And when you and I choose to sin, choose to dishonor God, right away, the accuser comes, ah, see? You're not a believer. You're a Christian. Call yourself a Christian. 
How Christian wouldn't do that. God doesn't love you anymore. God sees right through your hypocrisy. You show up on church on Sunday, you fool everyone. You're not fooling God. You're not fooling anyone. Suddenly you got guilt. You got shame. You got condemnation. Now you don't even want to come to church because coming to church makes you feel bad. Yeah, that's right. Just stay away. Because you're a hypocrite. And they all know it. Everyone talks to Nohi. It's on Facebook. Right? You're not fooling anyone. It gets in your head. God doesn't love you. How could God love you? you? He knows what you do. He knows what you see on the internet. He knows what you're doing in secret. God doesn't love you anymore. You call yourself a child of God. Yeah, right. What do you do in those moments? In those moments you say, by faith, nothing will separate me from the love of my Father. And in those moments, by faith, like the prodigal son, you say, I'm going back home. I'm going to own what I need to own. I'm going to confess what I need to confess. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to receive it because my father still loves me. My father still loves me. And there are some people, maybe here, maybe at home watching, maybe listening, and you've made some choices the past week, days, this week maybe, the last month, and you're carrying around guilt and shame and condemnation. And the devil's having a heyday. And you're not so sure that you're, being, you're lovable anymore. And maybe today, God, through his word and the Holy Spirit, just wants to tell you, Father still loves you. Father still loves you. Come home. Remember the story of the prodigal? What was the father doing? Waited every day looking, waiting for the son to come back. Because he loved them. He loves her. He loves you. Come home today. Come home. He loves you. Nothing can separate. Nothing can separate. If you're a child of God, you are in Christ. You're a new creation. You've been born again into the family of God. Father loves you. Father loves you. Okay? And in fact, I love this, and we're going to close with this. Romans 8, 1, the chapter starts, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? I love that. Romans 8, 1 says, hey, no condemnation. And then Romans 8, 37, 39 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's my, just, if you get this, there's no condemnation and there's no separation. Bookends, Romans 8. If you're a believer, if you have put your faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation in Christ. There is no separation from the Father's love in Christ. We need to hear that so that we can live as more than conquerors. Amen? Because there's an enemy that wants to accuse everyone in here. And that accusation gets in your brain and you stop believing that Father loves you. And now you slide into works to try to earn it back or you just bail on church. 
because you feel too bad and you believe that you're not lovable. And so why should I go to church? God doesn't love me. People at church don't love me. And it gets in your head. And it's a complete lie. It's just a complete lie. So before we do communion, I just want to share a story. And maybe just a time of reflection and trying to contextualize it in a story, but also just give you time to reflect on what you're going through in your own life. It's a story about Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom, many of you know, um, suffered through uh, the Nazi death camps with her sister. And here's the story of what happened to them. Corey Ten Boom was at the Nazi death camp Ravensbrook, where a roll call came at 4.30 every morning. Most mornings were cold, and sometimes the women would be forced to stand without moving for hours in the bone-chilling pre-dawn darkness. Nearby were the punishment barracks, where all day and far into the night would come the sounds of cruelty, blows landing in regular rhythm, and screams keeping pace. But Corey and her sister Betsy had a Bible, and at every opportunity they would gather the women together like orphans around a blazing fire and read Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Corey later said, I would look about us as Betsy read, watching the light leap from face to face. More than conquerors, it was not a wish, it was a fact. We knew it, we experienced it minute by minute in an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Life at Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels. One, the observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we lived with God grew daily better. Truth upon truth, glory upon glory. See? This passage that we just looked at enabled Corey and her sister to live victoriously in a living hell. To rise above the horror of Ravensbrook. And to focus on who they were in Christ and the incredible promise that you and I are just able to claim in 2021. Amen? Now, I'm not going to presume in my life that I'm ever uh, or will ever or have ever experienced anything close to this. And, I, you know, maybe none of us here living in the good old USA. But it still doesn't diminish those moments in your life and my life when you're at your end's wit. You're just the end. Right? And you're just like, oh, oh, this is horrible. I hate this. What's going on? I don't know if I can make it. And I just want to encourage you, even through our sister Corey and Betsy, if you're there, go back to Romans 8, 35 to 39. Wherever you're facing today, home, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. He loves you. He loves you. He will love you forever. How do you know? That big cross behind me. It's not about how you feel. It's about what he's already done at the cross. Amen? If you're ever wondering, does God love me? Does God love me? Just remember the cross. Because it was settled there. 
settled there. Put your faith in Christ. You're his child. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. I think about um, the conditions, the circumstances in our personal lives, nationally, globally. And Father, I don't know what lies ahead for this world. Sometimes the human part of me just shakes my head and just doesn't know. That's okay. Because what we do know is that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Death, life, angels, rulers, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. Maybe they have felt unlovable. Maybe they felt distanced that something has come between your love for them. I pray that on the authority of your word that you would dispel that false belief. And that they would take this moment of communion, this moment of song and worship, just to come home, to say thank you. Thank you, Father, for loving me. Thank you that you'll never stop loving me, that nothing can come between me and you and your love you have for me. Thank you for all these. And Father, I just want to live in the freedom of your love. I just want to live in the freedom of your love. And so we'll sing this song and there's communion cups in front of you. You can use this time as reflection of God's love for you. If you've not received God's love through faith in Christ, just take a moment now. Put your faith in Jesus. Receive the gift of salvation. Receive it by faith. Come into the family of God and know that as a child of God, nothing will ever separate you from his love because it's rooted in Christ Jesus and your faith in Christ. You can talk to God the best way you know how. Just put your faith in Christ. Take communion with us. So, There's cups there. We'll sing the song. You can take communion as, as you would like on your own time, and then Randy will come up and close us.